Welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. And just a few days ago, there was a major Arizona Supreme Court decision, uh, a decision about the Invest in Education Act, which we've talked about on this podcast several times. Um, and it was a decision that got national, a lot of national stories uh, about uh, the, the law in this court case coming up. Uh, Investment Act was an income tax hike on high-income earners that would have uh, gone to fund K-12 education. So what was the final decision, and uh, what was the rationale behind it? The, a majority of the court, uh, there was um, a couple of spirited dissents, uh, found that the description of the initiative um, was materially misleading enough to be unfair to the people who were being asked to sign it. Uh, and uh, therefore, one could not determine uh, that sufficient people wanted it on the ballot to put it on the ballot and voted to take it off the ballot. It had two defects in the view of a majority of the court. Uh, the first is that it uh, understated the size of the tax increase that would be imposed on high earners. And uh, the second flaw was that it failed to disclose that it would effectively repeal the indexing of income tax brackets in Arizona, which would have resulted in a tax increase for everyone, not just the affluent. And the bottom line was they decided it was too confusing rendered a risk of being too confusing for the people signing it, uh, and so it wasn't fair that people were signing it, maybe not knowing exactly what was what was in it. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, interesting analysis of different elements of it, um, including the timing, the fact that some people might have known some things about it that they weren't supposed to. Let's first talk about the timing, though. Um, is the timing interesting to you? What's your take? Is it a week and a half out? from from the election? Uh, is this unusual? Why would they release it at this time rather than earlier or, late, or later after the election? Uh, it's surprising to me um, in that usually it, in, in these election contests, the court frequently has to make a decision, announce a decision, but delay uh, a written opinion that lays out the reason for the decision until later. Ordinarily, um, these decisions aren't issued uh, until after the election, um, sometimes not until the next calendar year. Um, so uh, this one actually came out quicker than usual. Uh, the reason that, I, that it surprises me is that there's two members of the court who are up for retention elections, uh, and there is by um, some disgruntled supporters of Invest in Ed, uh, at least a low-grade um, anti-retention campaign being conducted. So this confirmed that the two justices up for retention voted with the majority to kick Invest in Ed off the ballot strengthening the anti-retention case against them. So 
I don't think the timing was political because I think the timing actually hurts the two justices that are up for retention. Didn't they? Didn't they feel pressure? Do you think though to get it to get it out before because people were upset about not having that information before going in? At least now we have the explanation and we have the fact that it was a five to two and not a three to two or something, which would uh, indicate that. It, it, it wasn't a case of Ducey stacking the court. Right, right, right. That, that was one of the parts of of the claims when the decision was first made, that the legislature passed a bill expanding the court from five to seven members. Ducey stacked the court with people who decided this way. Now, that's, in the first place, just a complete misrepresentation of the way the court works. Uh, but as it turns out, uh, the decision would have been the same even without the additional two justices. And neither Bullock, Clint Bullock nor John P. Lander, who are the two justices up for retention, were expansion judges. They would have been uh, on the court uh, even if the bill had never been passed. I don't think that the court felt any political pressure to get it out before the election. And again, I think if they were going to plague games with the timing for political purposes, it would have happened afterwards. Because I think the angst over invest in ed has largely dissipated. Uh, David Garcia, the Democratic candidate for governor who was all in for invest in ed once it was off the ballot, almost seemed like he uh, issued a sigh of relief and and started running away from it. So, yeah. so uh <clears throat> Since it wasn't uh, a close enough thing to implicate Ducey in, in court stacking, the, the charge has been now that he uh, knew about or have some direct line of communication. Basically, that, you know, the accusation is that Ducey is, has used the, the court in, place, in, in expanding and in placing and now maybe communicating because his, uh, his staff apparently knew or had a rumor about a 5-2 split, and they knew that very quickly after the decision happened, um, well before the opinion was released, and knew also who the two dissenting, uh, so not only knew or guessed right the split and who was against it. Um, there's a lot of nefarious explanations for that. Is there any uh, innocent explanations for why uh, a governor and his staff would have inside information into supposedly an independent body? It would be better if we knew more. Um, Here, I I am confident of two things. Uh, I am confident that there was not communication between the governor Uh, or his staff and members of the court about what the decision should be or lobbying the justices to decide in a particular way. I'm also confident, knowing several members of the court, uh, that there was no communication between justices and the governor or the governor's staff regarding um, what the outcome was. Uh, It simply would be out of character with the people whom I know. Um, So you have one of two explanations. Either someone who was involved in the case 
made an informed guess about the outcome that turned out to be accurate, and the governor's press spokesman reported that on background to reporters as a fact to try to kick back against the Ducey Stack the Court claim that was being made and either misunderstood or failed to make the distinction about it being an informed guess rather than knowledge, or a member of the court staff uh, leaked the result to someone. Uh, The governor's um, staff, uh, campaign staff, and uh, office staff uh, say that there was no direct communication between them and the staff of the court, Uh, but there might have been a leak from court staff to someone else uh, who was the source for what the governor's spokesman uh, expressed. That would be, if, if it was a lucky guess, not a lucky guess, an informed guess, uh, that turned out to be accurate and was reported as more than that by the governor's press secretary, that's unfortunate. If it was a leak from the court staff and it actually was something that somebody knew when that person reported it to the governor's uh, press spokesman, uh, that's uh, much more worrisome. And, 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 and I know the court is trying to ascertain whether that happened. But you also have the, the Wall Street Journal wrote on October 2nd in an editorial, you know, opining on the fact that you know, there's been several articles saying that Arizona voters should keep these judges to maintain the independence of the judiciary. But the Wall Street Journal article on October 2nd said that the opinion was going to be released within the next couple of weeks. Nobody here knew that. So is that another example of potentially worrisome communication that's coming out of the court that somehow no one else knows about except for people writing articles to influence Arizona voters or the governor's uh, staff? It is troubling and I think probably should be part of uh, the court's internal investigation of the matter. Uh, The timing of an opinion is uh, far less significant a breach than the substance of the opinion and the breakdown of how the justices um, voted. So uh, regard that one as more of a misdemeanor. Uh, If there was a leak of the substance of of the opinion, and the breakdown, that's more like a public interest felony. So like the let's talk then about the about the decision and the implications of, of the decision, the rationale, and the dissent. Um, Arizona is known to being very open to direct democracy and to have uh, voters be able to you know give their say and have, have protection for what their decisions are, and that seems to be valued and and respected here in Arizona. So you have the situation, you can kind of put yourself in the position of of the people that try to get this on the ballot. Uh, You are, you know, fighting for a higher higher pay for and and more funding for schools. Uh, You do this huge march, and uh, the governor gives in with the pay increase, uh, but there's 
not a not an increase a revenue uh, stream to pay for it. Um, get this thing written. Spend the whole summer collecting signatures for it. Um, get it on the ballot. You think, um, but then it seems you know from their perspective as a technicality that you're that you're taking you're nitpicking uh, this hundred word description that is not even. And I didn't know this until reading the decision that that's not even supposed to be impartial at all. It's just supposed to contain the key provisions of the initiative. So, you know, from their perspective, it seems like they kind of got screwed on a technicality when, you know, the bigger picture is that Arizona and the courts should be having more deference and more respect. And if there's a benefit of the doubt, that should go to the citizens trying to put an initiative on, on the ballot. Uh, the problem is, is that objectively speaking, I don't think it can fairly be described as a technicality. I mean, the difference between increasing taxes only on the rich and increasing taxes on everybody uh, is um, highly substantive. Uh, and I think the court was correct in deciding in this case uh, that the failure to disclose that um, was materially unfair to the people who were being asked to sign it, who were being told that they were increasing the taxes of somebody else, um, when in reality they were being asked to sign a petition that would increase their own taxes. Um, so, and, and particularly since the flaw was spotted by legislative counsel in a review to which the drafters of Invest in Ed could have submitted their proposal um, had legislative counsel spot uh, that flaw and corrected it. Um, I think the court was right in saying that in fairness to the people who were asked to sign it, um, we can't conclude uh, that this initiative got the requisite number of signatures to be submitted to the voters. Yeah, and maybe one this is just speculation, but maybe one reason why they didn't go through that process is kind of the rush. The, the ballot came out during the strike. There was a teacher strike going on. Teachers were out there on the, on the lawn of the Capitol, and then they had just filed the, the petitions and were out there circulating. So maybe it was on their part, and I don't know why they wouldn't have done that, um, but maybe there was a rush to <laughs> a rush to capture it was, some of those signatures. Well, it was clearly rushed, um, but one can take out a, an initiative petition at any point in time and and not go to the streets with circulation until at some future point in time. <clears throat> um, so uh, I think that the architects of Invest in Ed only have themselves to blame if they had drafted their initiative sooner and submitted it to legislative council review. This flaw could have been spotted. It could have been corrected. And I don't believe that the court would have struck it off the ballot simply because of the difference between percent and percentage point. I think it was the fact that it would increase everybody's taxes and not just the taxes of the affluent was so fundamentally misleading that it caused the majority of the court to conclude what it concluded. But with the, one of the dissents, uh, and Timmer wrote a separate dissent, um, so there was two two written opinions. But the second one was emphasizing uh, the fact that hey, yeah, there's 
maybe this wasn't intended. The proponents, the, the invest in ed people say that it doesn't do that. And their lawyers saying that it doesn't remove indexing, that we've intentionally tried to put indexing in there. And if you read the totality of the whole bill, that you can kind of interpret that it does. So, so the dissent is arguing that there is some you know, ambiguity there. And the proper response, given how much deference we should pay to the, you know, the citizens' initiative, is to say, hey, if that's going to be a factor here, there's some ambiguity. Why not just have that be baked into the to the campaign? And the people that are trying to defeat it can say, look, there's there's a possibility that or they could that this is going to raise everyone's taxes. The other side is like, no, I don't think it's going to. So that's going to be something. So rather than just it being kicked off and 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 it's over because of what the court said, why not um, allow that to go to the voters and we can have that public debate? Does it, does it not? Making different arguments and then the voters now have a decision to make of, hey, this, there's this possibility that it could be raising my taxes. Let's make that decision. Let's vote yes or no on it. This is the part of the dissents um, that I most object to. I, I can understand an argument that says that the descriptions aren't uh, that significant, that much weight shouldn't be placed on them. There's a statement in the description that says you need to look at the full text. That argument I can understand. But the alternative to deciding that issue here, and the court didn't reach out and ask for it. There was a lawsuit filed that presented this issue before the court. And the alternative would have been to have the debate go forward, um, competing claims in the course of the election. Let's assume it passes. Okay, now the Department of Revenue needs to make a decision. Does it adjust the brackets or doesn't it? Has to seek a attorney general opinion to provide uh, direction on it. Irrespective of how the Department of Revenue uh, were to decide that, someone's going to sue. And so the issue of whether indexing is or isn't repealed by the language that was actually in the initiative would be decided by the same seven people. But after a vote, after the people well, have decided whether but, they like but, it or not. It might not have to do but, 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 but why shouldn't the people know in advance whether it's going to increase their taxes or not? I mean, why is it preferable to go through all of that process to have the same people decide the issue that's before them in advance um, and so that there's no ambiguity submitted to the voters. And I think the argument um, by the majority is far superior in terms of statutory construction to the alternative interpretation in the dissent. I mean, it follows uh, precisely what I had opined in an opinion column. You simply can't read what they actually wrote the way yeah. that they are arguing that it should be interpreted. Yeah, your your column pretty much did lay the exact same argument that uh, ended up made, and and even in the in the majority saying, you know, we we can't go and edit after it's already been filed what what it is to make these corrections. We have to just say what we have there in front of us. Um, is this 
going to set a precedent that's going to change how initiatives are launched. So, you know, even though they did not rule on, you know, strict standard of, of, of collecting signatures or, or anything like that, they did kind of raise the bar, I th- it seems like to me, on um, having to go through this legislative council review to make sure it doesn't have any uh, challenges and, you know, really probably changing your approach to how you're going to do the hundred word thing. And it doesn't, it doesn't just increase the risk factor of putting in all this time and energy into an initiative and then, and then, uh, having it, having it blow up. Is there any precedent change or is this going to change the initiative process in Arizona? I think owner only minorly um, opponents of initiatives will be more likely as a result of this decision to challenge um, the descriptions, uh, which heretofore have been considered a not very important part of uh, the process. I I think that that will die out quickly because I don't think the court intends uh, to signal a much sharper review of the descriptions. This was an unusual situation um, where the description wasn't just wasn't incomplete or failed to deal with the key provisions. It was materially misleading in a way that would be significant to people who signed it because they were being told that you're raising rich people's taxes and they were in actuality being asked to put on the ballot something that would raise everybody's taxes. That's a highly unusual situation and I think it's a one-off. And I have another reason for believing that. Um, There was something else that was unusual about this decision. The majority opinion was not authored by a particular justice and joined by the other justices. Uh, It was, in essence, issued anonymously, um, even though the dissents were signed. And I think that was a signal from the court that uh, this was kind of a one-off decision. So I think there will be additional uh, litigation. I think it will be a dead end for people who are trying to challenge initiatives because I don't think the court intended to set a higher bar uh, through this decision. If it encourages um, people who draft initiatives uh, to submit them to the expertise of the bipartisan lawyers uh, on legislative council, that would be a good thing, particularly since with the Voter Protection Act, once the voters approve these things, the legislature is basically powerless to change it. Yeah. Um, so uh, if, if um, people who are going to circulate initiatives add more time in order to have a legislative review before they go hit the streets, um, I think that's all for the good. Yeah. I mean, I, was, uh, I wasn't a fan of this initiative to begin with. I think, first of all, it wasn't a, te- you know, they marketed it as being, this is the teachers, and even David Garcia was saying in his debates is, I was just supporting the teachers to what they wanted to do. Well, I was a liaison. I was a representative represent of Red for Ed during that for my school. None of the, even the representatives of the movement even knew anything about this initiative until it was literally being handed out on the lawn of the Capitol. We weren't even aware of it, uh, the rank and file. So the idea that this was, from 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 the movement, and so I, 
my biggest lament about this whole situation is that now we've got, you know, the education activists at war, you know, with the Republican establishment over, over this. Maybe that's what it was always going to be because of the perception of being underfunded or whatever. But I just felt like there was such an amazing opportunity for unity amongst the education community to, to make something happen. And I feel like because this bill was so partisan itself, I mean, of course it was going to, of course, uh, jacking up the income tax rates in Arizona is going to create a, you know, create a backlash. So I think for me, I, you know, the morning process is like, you know, I, I love the, the citizen initiative movement. Um, I actually thought, you know, reading it, I, I wish it would have gone to the voters. I don't, I don't think it would have passed. Um, but, uh, I just feel a sense of loss at, you know, the, the infighting now and the divisiveness, even over the issue of education. when, um, there was, a, I think, a great opportunity to collectively come together on, on some sort of solution to a long-running problem. Well, and, and the fact that a spokesman for the governor um, reported uh, the precise outcome uh, in ad- advance, irrespective of whether, whether that person actually knew or had misstated or misinterpreted something and informed guess that he was told, um, has um, led to an even sharper division. Uh, So that, uh, certainly by the people involved, was an unforced error uh, that uh, has prolonged and deepened uh, conflict over the decision, unfortunately and unnecessarily. Yeah, it just adds to that perception they already had of... um kind of shady shady and, and and overuse of power at the at the governor level um well good news is sons are dominant no their sons are not dominating <laughs> um election day is coming up and hope everyone uh gets out and and, and votes um there's got to be some good news out there somewhere uh can you think of anything? <laughs> uh, no, this has been a particularly miserable and distressing uh, electoral season. The only thing good about it is that it will soon be over, um, but I have a feeling that the rancor and animosity will not be. And well, on that cheerful note... <laughs> on that cheerful note, uh, we'll try to have a cheery episode next time on the political notebook uh you can subscribe to us on any podcasting app itunes soundcloud google play wherever you listen to podcasts thank you